Additional support for today's Heat Treat Radio episode was provided by John Turpak, an associate at Value Selling Associates, an international team of value selling trainers who will help your organization accelerate sales results, realize higher productivity, and upskill your entire organization. Value Selling is on the web at www.valueselling.com. On this episode of Heat Treat Radio, we're going to discuss how manufacturers with in-house heat treat might implement lean manufacturing concepts to increase profits and efficiencies. I'm your Heat Treat Radio host and publisher of Heat Treat Today, Doug Glenn. And before we go too far into today's podcast, I'd like to remind everyone that even though we'll be talking about lean today, Heat Treat Today's website is anything but lean when it comes to the amount of content available. In fact, some might say it's a fat website, heavy on technical and news content pertinent to North American heat treat markets. If you're a manufacturer with in-house heat treat, you would benefit from visiting our website periodically and subscribing to one of our more than six periodic e-newsletters. Visit our website at www.heattreattoday.com. I'd also like to give a shout out to John Turpak, who I've known for many years, and his recommendation to talk to today's guest, who I'll let introduce himself now. Hi, I am Dr. Sharuk Irani. I'm the president of a one-person consulting company, Lean and Flexible LLC. I first met John when I was involved with the creation of a magazine called Forge, a publication that is still published by BNP Media and serves the North American forging industry. John's a very accomplished engineer, metallurgist, and C-level management guy with a lot of energy and vision. He knows the metals, forging, and heat treat industry, and it's on his recommendation that we're talking to Dr. Irani today. So thanks, John. Lean manufacturing isn't a topic discussed too frequently in the heat treat world, but there are significant benefits to be gained by doing so. That's why today's conversation with Dr. Irani should be of significant benefit to you, especially if you're a high-mix, low-volume manufacturer, as opposed to a low-mix, high-volume manufacturer. While the bulk of Heat Treat Today's audience are manufacturers with their own in-house heat treat departments, many of these departments heat treat a wide variety of parts and therefore qualify as high-mix, low-volume producers. Our friends in the commercial heat treat world will also find this episode beneficial since most of their business is built around high-mix, low-volume job shop type work. So let's jump into today's episode with Dr. Sharuk Arani. Sharuk, just to start with, I wanted to give our listeners a little bit of a background about you, your company, and the, the product that you offer. But first, I did want to mention that uh, we're indebted to a mutual friend of ours to who put us in contact with each other, a uh, gentleman by the name of John Turpak, who has been involved in the heat treating and foundry industries for many, many years, a, a good man who put us in touch with, uh, with each other. And John has, you know, has a long list of accomplishments and, 
But he's also on Heat Treat Today's website under the consultant section, John Turpak, T-I-R-P-A-K, under, and his company's name is Value Selling Associates, Inc. Uh, so I want to just give a shout out to John and thank him for the introduction. So, Sharuk, if you don't mind, if you, wouldn't, if you would please, just give us a brief background about yourself and your company. So I'll turn it over to you, please. Thank you. So um, my company's name is Lean and Flexible. I'm just a one-person consulting day. And uh, the name pretty much tells everybody what I think needs to be done. And uh, when you are high mix, low volume, especially if you're job shop, not necessarily job shop, but if you do high mix, low volume, you want to be lean, which is, you know, waste-free, efficient. Mm -hmm. But then you want to be flexible. You know, you want to be able to do a whole variety of parts in different quantities. Um, everybody can talk lean, but when you try to become flexible, uh, all those things which your favorite consultant taught you to be lean kind of work against you. Right. So lean and flexible, you know, you, you have to be agile. Agile is the speed with which you can change over and do different types of heat treating. So mm-hmm. that's pretty much what my consulting company does. Right, right. And your background, just very briefly, uh, I know that you've been at the you've been at academia for a while, uh, but you also, I think, when you met John, who we mentioned earlier, then you spun off this new uh, new company. So tell us just very briefly about your academic background, and also, if you don't mind, uh, maybe any interaction with uh, Toyota, which of course is the the big person, big company when it comes to lean. Yeah, sure. So. Uh... I began my academic career after I got my PhD in 1990. And then, you know, straight about 22 years from 1990 to 2012, I was in academia. Uh, I read that book, Lean Thinking, uh-huh. which talked about Toyota and their favor of lean in 1999. And it really got me interested because uh, I think what is called lean or what is called the Toyota production system is just classical industrial engineering but very hands-on. It's uh, Toyota basically figured out industrial engineering the way that the rest of us, especially in America, never did. And that's basically what Lean is, Toyota-style industrial engineering. So mm-hmm. when I began in 2003, when John met me, uh, his charter to me was, look, research is fine, but uh, I deal with custom forge shops. They make you know batches of 50 and 100. Mm-hmm. They don't make... 200,000 cars a year. They don't. Okay, so throw all that Toyota flavor of lean out the window. You give me some lean stuff that I can benefit these custom forging suppliers who send parts to the DOD. So that's how this whole idea of job shop lean was born, that how do I take industrial engineering, which is the math and the science, and then blend it with this very hands-on, very practical industrial engineering that came out of Toyota. Right. I think that's that's very key. Uh, I don't think that the world recognizes that we actually teach a profession, that there are professionals called industrial engineers, but unless they practice the Toyota method of industrial engineering, that that education is just just academic. So right, uh, right. You know, Sharuk, this brings me to kind of a a statement I saw on your website that maybe ties in here. Maybe you can expound on this a little bit. I thought it was a very interesting statement. And and we will give your website, by the way, at, towards the end of this uh, episode. But uh, you have a statement on your website that says this. 
where industrial engineering meets the Toyota production system. Can you expound on that a little bit, exactly what that means and why you have that on your website? Sure. So uh, look at me. I mean, I was an academic uh, for 22 years. Never worked at Toyota. Never worked at Toyota. So I never had the benefit of their sensei, you know, their expert, you know, lean implementers teaching me. But I was an industrial engineer. Mm -hmm. So when I read things like value stream mapping and one-piece flow and all those Japanese words like Kaizen, Hijinka, Tokayoki, Kanban, when you distill those practices down, at the bottom of it is pure industrial engineering. So, you know, like when you smelt iron, the slag comes to the top, but what remains is that pure molten iron. Mm-hmm. That is industrial engineering. So I had not worked at Toyota, but I was an industrial engineer. So what choice did I have to develop this thing called Job Shop Lean for John, who was like, hey, you've got to benefit, you know, heat treaters who have pre-machining and post-machining. Mm-hmm. All I had was my industrial engineering, and then I remastered it. I, I started asking myself, this academic theory is good. What's the practical version? So I looked to the Toyota side, the Toyota production system, industrial engineering, and I distilled that down and I connected it to, oh, so this is where the standard stuff I was taught and I read doesn't fit. So I kind of did a Frankenstein kind of thing. I took what worked and I took the science of industrial engineering, blended it together, and that's what I teach and practice today. It's a industrial engineering done my way. It works. I fail. I succeed. Learn mm-hmm. from my mistakes. It works, you know. Yeah. 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 Great. So as I mentioned to you before we actually started recording here, I mentioned to you that our our, the, our primary audience are, are manufacturing companies who have their own in-house heat treat departments. So they're somewhat in line, you would think, perhaps they're somewhat in line. But I wanted to – I don't know that many of our – of the heat treat shops or many of the industrial companies, manufacturing companies that we deal with – whether they really think of lean being a element of their heat treat operation. So my question to you is, could you come up with, on the spur of the moment here, what are, let's say, three to five of the most common opportunities that are missed by these manufacturers with their own in-house heat treat departments if, they, if they're not thinking lean and flexible? What what are some of the opportunities that they're missing? Okay, I, I'll give it a stab. Uh, uh, first thing is, you look at the total flow. So, you know, look at sawing, turning, milling, grinding, drilling, heat treating, post-grind machining, assembly. You just look at heat treating as a process, as a department. Mm-hmm. And just you would organize any facility and say, hey, that's the first thing. Can you identify your value streams? And heat treatment just becomes a department, a step in those value streams. All you care about is I get bar stock and I get uh, forging and I machine it through and I heat treat it, improve its properties, post machine, uh, post heat treat machining, assembly shit. That's the first thing that I don't know. And please correct me. I don't know that these manufacturers who have heat treating simply as a process inside their four walls, that that's the first thing that they've done. Have they designed flexible lines, flexible cells, mm-hmm. and then looked at, hey, how can heat treatment, how can the, I mean, like heat treatment 
is kind of unlean. It's process driven. Mm-hmm. It's very incompatible with, say, grinding or you know CNC machining, mm-hmm. and it's batch intensive. It's batch intensive. The the control aspects of a heat treating process, ferrodizing and annealing and stress relieving, are, I think a lot more involved. But that's important. First thing is, have we identified our value streams? Second thing is, do we schedule? How do we schedule the shop? You, there are challenges, but. It's not that the challenges are insurmountable, but I find that scheduling is the second massive weakness in just about any manufacturer, mm-hmm. whether or not they're medical or aerospace or mining, whether or not they have heat treat inside or heat treat outsourced. That's the second thing. Scheduling is a big weakness. The third thing, the third thing is that uh, heat treating, definitely you've got process control software that's monitoring the recipes and the heat treat cycles of the furnaces and other process steps. Great. But what's missing, the third thing that's missing is communication. Uh, Most of these manufacturers who have heat treatment right smack in the middle of their facility and their pre-heat treat and post-heat treat process steps, I don't believe that they have utilized their control systems more as a communication system to pre-heat treat work centers and post-heat treat work centers. Mm -hmm. So, they could be using the software as machine monitoring systems, they, but they can also use that as manufacturing execution systems. I think that's the third weakness. Mm-hmm. They have not really connected the heat treat to, hey, I need to move my money. And every time product builds up in a batch, I'm losing money. That's the carrying cost of inventory. That's my third observation, that they treat this incompatible area heat treat or like, you know, furnaces as, oh, we'll treat them as their own little baby, but they mm-hmm. connect the fact that there are links, pre-links and post-links. And one last thing is, again, I did some reading about the equipment that you have for heat treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure that when I looked at these furnaces, they're all big, long boxes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know that that's the best design of the equipment in that particular industry. Mm-hmm. See, in, in in lean, in assembly, they are driven by one-piece flow. They are driven by one person attending multiple stages. They are driven by visual management. And I didn't get the feeling that these big, long boxes that they built, mm-hmm. I didn't get the feeling that they were designed for one-piece flow, that they were designed for transfer batch flow, which is what the other sectors of industry are doing. Mm-hmm. So... You know, long boxes, the question is, why should all the parts be on the bottom on the conveyor? Could there be like, you know, bucket spiral conveyors? Could you use the vertical rather than the horizontal? Um, I feel that even machine design could learn. Mm -hmm. And especially if you've got heat treatment inside a bigger facility, you've got to be a lot more creative about how to get one-piece flow, visual monitoring, uh, communication to other departments. Uh, I, I feel that may be a lost opportunity. Yes, yes. Well, you know, the, the design of the equipment is an interesting, uh, interesting aspect to discuss. A lot of times the reason those, those furnaces are, uh, you're talking continuous furnaces in this case, or semi-continuous furnaces are long straight lines with a entrance on one end and an exit on the other. 
it is a design issue. It's an expense issue. Uh, certainly, there are furnaces out there that can do, you know, a U-shape or a serpentine shape or things of that sort, or even use vertical, you know, going up and down. The issue tends to be in a lot of this is that the material transfer becomes Lucky. quite a bit more expensive and a potential maintenance issue, which nobody wants when we have mm-hmm. to transfer. Buck, uh, transfer baskets or parts on a belt. Uh, you know, transfer transfer systems work well at ambient temperatures, but when you get them up in the uh, you know, <laughs> high temperatures, it becomes a problem. But your point is yeah. well taken, Shrook. I think that's the the point is let's take a look at not only the layout of the facility and the, how we're using it, but the design of the equipment itself could certainly could certainly benefit by that. That. That brings me to a question here uh, that, again, you and I talked with uh, John Turpak a little bit, and he threw this question out. I thought it was, it was kind of interesting. He says, uh, he was asking the question, recognizing heat treatment is often characterized with fixed monumental pieces of equipment. What can be done on either side of the heating and cooling operations to lean out the process? And I think his point is is well taken. Most people think, listen, this is a huge piece of equipment. We can't really lean out this piece of equipment. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. But even if we can, I guess I would like to ask you, can we lean out a large static piece of equipment, let's say? And if not, are we are we just talking about leaning out the processes before it and after it. I, I cut my teeth with, uh, you know, the so-called job shop lean, lean for high mix, low volume in forge shops, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so I didn't have the benefit of going into some little assembly line area and doing one piece flow for textile products or, you know, table assembly, right? It was forges. Mm-hmm. So what happened in forges? You've got saws and then you've got preheat treat furnaces and then you have the big presses and hammers. Mm-hmm. They are monuments from the get-go, right? Then there's a once the part gets hammered, it then drops into a wire mesh container, and then sometime later, the forklift guy comes and drives it off and goes and dumps it someplace in the yard. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think that when you have monuments, of course, you look at things like right sizing. So, a f- wonderful example that came out from the Toyota world was. Ford had built this massive $10 million washing machine that was supposed to be capable of washing many different types of parts, but its uptime was maybe 60%. Mm-hmm. Toyota went to the local Lowe's and bought dishwashers, and they changed the inside of the dishwashers, and they sized the machine to the volume and the shape of the parts. Uh-huh. Right, so they they right-sized. Uh-huh. They took something that everybody thought was, oh, that's a monument, and let's make it flexible. And anything flexible is unreliable. Anything flexible is hard to learn to use. Right. Um, the, I think that's the whole idea that you have to look at these monuments and say, uh, what can we do pre? So, okay, I know that the furnace has to done, do batches. But how much time that the furnace is just burning, you know, oil and electricity, and it doesn't have a load inside of it. Uh-huh. So if you ask, what is the total time that I've got metal inside the furnace? That is the true value added utilization of that big, hot, long box. Uh-huh. 
Mm-hmm. Like welding. I don't care about, you know, how wonderfully 5S the welding station is. I'm asking, what's the arc time? What is the arc time? And also within that, that arc time, how many of the parts I produced were good welds? That's all I care about. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what people have to look at, especially those who have heat treatment inside the four walls. They have to use what is called theory of constraints. So they might say, okay, we've got heat treat as the constraint. How do we optimize its throughput? Then we have pre-heat treat work. How do I flow work so that I'm putting the right orders in the right quantity, in the right sequence, always available to go into that big long box? And then post-constraint, how do I flow product after the heat treat process? Mm-hmm. People have to look at, they have to use things like theory of constraints and continuous flow, but then they have to adapt the concept. And personally, I believe that the monument thing, once people like you are brought to think about the process, how to break down the constraints of batch, the time that it takes to get that heat cycle stabilized from the previous cycle, I think the creativity has to be unleashed. Mm-hmm. So, you recognize the limitations, but if you look at things like right-sizing, downsizing, pull scheduling, buffer management, overall shop scheduling, water spiders who know exactly when they must bring a load to the furnace, water spiders who know when they should take a load from the furnace to the grinding work centers. I think that communication and continuous flow capability, that's how you demonument a monument. When we come back, we'll talk with Dr. Arani about what lean tools make sense to be used in high-mix, low-volume production environments like many of our manufacturing environments. And we'll talk about something called Job Shop Lean. But first, let me encourage you to take a trip over to www.valueselling.com and search that site for John Turpak. That's T-I-R-P-A-K. John's name has already been already come up several times in this podcast, and the service that John can provide to your entire organization is one which is typically sorely needed, the ability to value sell. Just like lean manufacturing and heat treat, which is often ignored, learning how to value sell is also something that could use a bit of attention. Value Selling is an international network of trainers who will drive more growth, increase revenues, and lead your team to big results with value-based sales training and the Value Selling Framework. Value Selling is a practical method that focuses on your buyer and the value they receive by doing business with you. And John, specifically, with his vast knowledge of the metals, forging, and heat treat industries, might very well be the guy you've been looking to to talk to to improve your bottom line through sales training that is practical to your situation. Run over to John's website, www.valueselling.com, and search for Turpac, T-I-R, P-A-K, and then give John a call. Or simply email me, and I'll put you in touch with John directly. You can email me at Doug at HeatTreatToday.com. Let's return now to Dr. Arani with some more Lean Insights. 
your company name is uh, Lean and Flexible, but it seems to me that the one of the products, if you will, that it, you're offering is something called Job Shop Lean. So can you explain that just a little bit, what it is, and then, uh, you know, what's the value of it? So when, when John came around and said, look, Shuruk, I love your research, but uh, I don't want this lean stuff that everybody and their dog is doing because, you know, there was MIT and there was Michigan and everybody was having their own program, you know, lean this, lean that. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, everything that they were doing was driven by just going and copycatting what Toyota was doing. But the fundamental observation that I had was, look, there are essentially two types of manufacturers at least. There are the OEMs, you know, the John Deere's, the Toyota's, the Boeing's. They assemble stuff. They assemble stuff. Uh, you can't take a jet assembly line and make dishwashers on it, right? Mm-hmm. Then on the other hand, you have these job shops with, I wouldn't say mom and pop, but they want to be flexible. They, they cannot make money by making the same thing, 120,000 pieces of it in the year. Mm-hmm. They basically are in small volumes, lots of part numbers, different requirements, material properties, you know, a lot of customers. That creates a lot of uncertainty, that work environment. But whereas the Toyota side is, hey, we will, of course, use the same assembly line. We might make vans. We might make cars. But we're going to push out just these four-wheeled thingies into the dealer lots. Mm-hmm. So Job Shop Lean was born, but I, say, I stepped back and I said, look, Everybody's talking lean, but all this lean stuff is just for assembly. Half the tools don't even work in high-mix, low-volume environments. Mm-hmm. So that's when the buzzword job shop lean came about, that, look, I look at those manufacturers who have issues of due dates, they've got shifting bottlenecks, they've got issues of suppliers jerking them around, they have lots of changeovers in their setups, all their parts go different routes around the shop. That's basically what we call a job shop. But John said, look, uh, you need to tell me what you're going to do at these forging companies where I'm going to set you up with. I had to come up with a plan that, look, I'm going to teach my interns, my students, such, such, such. Then we're going to place them at these forge shops. I'm going to mentor them remotely from Columbus, Ohio, but they'll be so knowledgeable and they are themselves so good, they'll be able to implement this, this, this at your forging you know, plants. Mm-hmm. And those tools, you know, what works and what doesn't work, that's true. You you can't have one-piece flow in heat treatment. You know, you can't do tact time. I mean, a CNC lathe works at a totally different speed compared to a furnace. Mm-hmm. A CNC right. lathe, you know, in a CNC lathe, you can make a piece and pass it on. In heat treatment, you cannot. You have to have a certain amount of mass inside at all times. Mm-hmm. Um you can change over a CNC mill within 30 minutes. Try doing that on a furnace with its own recipe from one run to another. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's what Job Shop Lean, I think, basically saying is that, look, gentlemen, we are not going to learn from Toyota what 90% of U.S. manufacturers need to because they're all high mix, low volume. Uh, please listen to me. I've got some knowledge. Uh-huh, uh, the right. rest of it I'm going to figure out. And so, you know, Toyota was inspiration, but I was like, you know what, at a certain point, because they aren't telling me the answers to high-mix, low-volume situations, I'm going to find them myself. There's a number of companies, people that are going to be listening to this, that might ask the question, okay, how do I know 
if my company or my in-house heat treat department is a candidate for for some sort of lean analysis? Would we benefit by having some sort of lean analysis? So, I mean, what would you say you, what would you encourage those people inside? What are the signs that they should be looking for in their company uh, that says, listen, you should seriously consider some sort of lean uh, philosophy or lean analysis of some sort. What what would be the the, the red flags? Let's say I have a job shopping assessment too. So it's a five page yes no type of questioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're interested, uh, all they have to do is send me an email, uh, receive that uh, word document, and just go x x x on all the questions I ask. Send mm-hmm. that back to me, and I should be able to give them very quickly. Just walking down their replies, it should be very easy to figure out. So, yes, I think you are eligible for this high-mix, low-volume, lean approach because mm-hmm. you've got heat treatment and a lot of pre-heat and post-heat treat process. That's one step. Second step would be uh, get your video camera out and uh, take a walk through the facility. So... In your mind, in your mind, you have a generic part that you make. Mm-hmm. And you basically imagine yourself to be that part. You put the camera, the GoPro camera on your helmet. Mm-hmm. And then you start and you walk that video camera and you talk me through uh, that whole walk that, okay, uh, this is where the billets come in. Okay, mm-hmm. then you see that forklift, you know, Joe's bringing up the forklift. He's going to bring up the billets and he's going to go now. Let's see, we're walking towards the saw. You see mm-hmm. that this is where the billets are. So second thing would be send me a video and then yeah. maybe get on a Zoom session and walk me through that video. So it's a it's a, more or less a virtual video tour of of yeah. a typical quote unquote typical part how it's processed. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yes. And, and the third thing would be I have right now in the age of COVID nineteen where it's like look uh, let's all not all be worried about you know uh, doing business. It's an open offer that I have formed a study group for job shop lean. Mm-hmm. And the only expectation is that, look, I will do as much as I can to work with you uh, while we are remote. There are no strings attached. But if you want to implement Job Shop Lean, then you should do a pilot project and you should follow the method. So I'm recording all my lectures. I'm posting them online at Vimeo so that anybody can access it. No strings attached, no financial expectation. But the third thing is do something. Mm-hmm. Do a pilot project, you know, do what we did at Cisco Forge Group 20 years ago. Do what we did at Alvin Forge, you know, mm-hmm. do what we did at Aluminum Precision Products. You know that uh, unless you do it, you're not going to get a sense of, wow, didn't even know that we've got, you know, 20 types of, you know, cutting tool inserts, you know. Yes, right. Yeah, I think with lean, with lean, it's not a topic that's often discussed in the heat treat world. And I think it's, uh, I think the issue here is there's, there's a lot that people don't know that they don't know. So it's really a discovery process. And to that extent, I would encourage people to, to reach out to you uh, in order to at least start that discovery process. So if, and let's talk quickly as we wrap up here, uh, Shrook, let's talk about just some contact information just so people can, can uh, get in touch with you. I, we will put on the podcast, I'll put your, uh, your email address 
and whatnot in your, I don't know that we'll put your cell phone number up there, but we, we may, <laughs> but if you don't mind, just give us your, uh, give us the web address so that people can go at least go there and maybe start looking a little bit more at what you're, at what you're doing. Sure. Thank you. It's the lean and flexible.com with no spaces, L E A N A N D F L E X I B L E.com lean and flexible.com. True. Thanks. Thanks so very much for joining us. We appreciate it. And I hope, uh, I hope a number of people get a hold of you uh, regarding this, uh, this lean and flexible. Thank you, Doug. It was my pleasure. I really appreciate the fact that you made time in the day to include me in this podcast. And once again, thank you to John also. If you'd like to get in touch with Dr. Sharuk Arani to discuss lean and flexible in your in-house or commercial heat treat operation, please feel free to email me at doug at heattreattoday.com and I'll put you in touch with Dr. Arani. And of course, you can go over to Dr. Arani's website and reach him that way as well. His website is www.leanandflexible.com. Special thanks again goes to John Turpak from Value Selling for his assistance and support of Heat Treat Radio. If you're looking to up your sales effectiveness with a guy who is intimately acquainted with heat treat and metals, consider contacting John. You can do that by emailing me at Doug at HeatTreatToday.com or by going to ValueSelling.com and searching for John's name, T-I-R-P-A-K. That's Turpak, T-I-R-P-A-K. And don't forget to check out Heat Treat Today's list of industry consultants of whom John Turpak is one. Bing or Google Heat Treat Consultants. And Heat Treat Today's list should be one of the top organic results. Or you can simply type the following URL into your browser, www.heattreattoday.com slash consultants. If you have a topic you'd like to see covered on Heat Treat Radio, or if you'd like to sponsor one or more of our episodes, please send an email to me. Again, my email address is doug at heattreattoday.com. All Heat Treat Radio episodes belong exclusively to Heat Treat Today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without express and advanced written permission from Heat Treat Today. The very capable and soon-to-be-married Jonathan Lloyd from Butler, Pennsylvania is responsible for producing these episodes and he is also responsible for nearly all the music you hear. If you'd like to talk to Jonathan about producing a podcast for you, you'll need to deal with me first because he's too good to share. But seriously, drop me an email, and if you'd like to talk with Jonathan, I will put you in touch with him. He's a great and very talented guy. I'm your host, Doug Glenn. Thanks for listening.